Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I've got John Shaw with me. John Shaw, as many listeners will know, is the General Secretary on the Committee of Home Missions and Church Extension. Uh, At the time of this recording, and certainly by the time you all hear this, John will be a lame duck General Secretary for Home Missions. He is on his way out. John, how long, how many, are we at about 10 years? How long have you been doing this? Yeah, it's a little bit over 10 years. I started in March of 2013. So we've talked about the committee and your responsibilities. At some point in time in the very near future, you will not be the general secretary of home missions. A couple weeks down the line after you get some rest and start to focus on whatever's next, what are you going to miss? What are you going to wish you were still participating in? Uh, A couple things in particular. You know, here's one of the ways that you, you, Brad, and I uh, are very similar. I love visiting new places and learning about a place and the people who live in that place. It's one of the things I love about visiting a church plant. So we have a mission work in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was there in March and spent a week just kind of immersing myself in Phoenix and Scottsdale and listening to people talk about why they love living in Scottsdale. What do they do? I was both doing that at the mission work. I was doing it out and about at restaurants and stuff, just asking people, you know, why do you live in Arizona? Uh, I went to a spring training game, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Guardians. I'm from Ohio. Showed up at a restaurant before the game and everybody, because it was two miles from the stadium, everybody was from Ohio. Literally, I mean, everybody. And so, you know, talking to people who used to live in Ohio and now they live in Arizona. And why do you live in Arizona? What do you love about it? What do you miss about Ohio? What makes Arizona unique? I love that. And to do that in the context of the church uh, is exciting to me. I actually think it's one of the ways we can get better at evangelism is to understand what makes people tick. And it does open up huge doors to the gospel. So I love doing that. And I'm going to miss that kind of travel experience in particular because of the people who I, I love to meet and get to know. Similarly, one of the things I'll miss is building relationships with pastors in other parts of the country. So it's it's interesting. Some of my best friends now live far away from me. Uh, I have good friends here in Philadelphia too that I'll miss, but I have good friends in Florida, in California, you know, Washington, and. Um, I love spending time with them. I'm, I've grown in my Christian faith and maturity uh, by getting to know these pastors. I've said sometimes that one of the things that we should figure out how to do when somebody becomes newly ordained as a minister is we should send him to 10 churches in different parts of the country, not that he picks, but that we just send him to, to see how those churches are different, but also to get to know pastors that he probably wouldn't get to know otherwise, and how that that changes your perspective on ministry and in the kingdom of God. And I'm really going to miss that. I, you know, I can stay in touch with those friends, but getting on zoom or on a phone call or texting, isn't the same thing as 
you know, sitting in a restaurant with them or sitting at their dining room table. I'm going to miss that a lot. And what aren't you going to miss? Well, ironically, because both the things I mentioned that I'm going to miss involve travel. Um, I love the part of travel that happens after I get there. I don't love the part of the travel that gets me there. So I will be happy to not be in an airport for a while, to not have to get a car rental, to not live in a hotel for a week. I definitely won't miss that. And being away from my family. I mean, it's been one of the odd things about this job is that as far as the job or the call, my favorite work in this call is the stuff that I do when I'm traveling. And yet I don't like being away from my family. So I'm going to enjoy being closer to home. I think um, something unique about this role is that you know a lot more about the hard things that are happening in the life of the church, it, part of the, the denomination, than you know if you're in a, a local church context. And so you're bearing a lot of burdens that you wouldn't even know about if you're in a local church. So, you know, I know a church right now that's bearing deep burdens because of uh, the death of, a, of one of their former pastors. I wouldn't know that. If I hadn't visited that church and gotten to know the pastor and now gotten to know some folks from the church, and there's something good about that, but it's also sometimes I haven't been great about always carrying that well. I'm sometimes more discouraged than I should be, and so I won't miss that. Yeah, thanks for being honest. Those are helpful for us to just kind of get to know what the last 10 years has been like for you as well. As we're talking here, um, you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing when you are no longer general secretary, timing's being worked out, uh, but I know you have some irons in the fire, and I know that you're headed toward pastoring pastoral ministry unless the Lord changes something or you know, doors close or whatever, but everything looks like to some degree you're going to be heading toward pastoral ministry. And I wonder what you take from the 10 years, what you take from being general secretary that will influence you being a pastor, Lord willing, going forward, maybe even different from you being a pastor before ever doing this? Like, what, what, how are you going out as a different pastor in your eyes as you think about where you may be headed? Yeah. Oh, man. I've been trying to think about that one, and it's a hard one to articulate at the moment. I, th- I think... I think I'm a a more effective preacher in that I've both seen lots of models and I've thought a lot more about the act of preaching and what it means to clearly and faithfully proclaim the gospel. So I think my preaching is more evangelistic than it was. Um, I think I've learned... Uh, I know this. I've learned about the importance of place. I love being a pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I loved Minnesota, but I didn't think about place in the same way. Part of that's because I've been quite often pulled from place as I travel. So I've both thought a lot about what different places are like, how they're how they're unique, but also, you know, I preach a fair amount, but I'm preaching in lots of different churches, but thinking very carefully about how I can preach and disciple and minister to these people in this place. I don't think I've thought about that as I thought about that as clearly before as I think about it now. Um, 
Can I jump in on that? Yeah. So it, it, not an answer I would have necessarily expected, um, but I, I'd like to just tap into that for a second for listeners in particular. Are we talking about the fact that, you know, the Midwest has a different culture than the East Coast than the West Coast? Or are we talking like in New York City, husbands are coming home on the subway at eight o'clock at night and trying to figure out how to spend time with family versus in L.A., you're commuting in a car, listening to a podcast for an hour. Like, are we what are we talking about when you talk about or something totally different? I'd just like you to flesh it out a little bit for for listeners. Well, first of all, I think it's both those things. So I, I think, um, you know, when a pastor takes a call, he needs to take time to get to know the place where he's called a pastor because it has unique cultural characteristics. So both urban versus suburban versus rural versus small town, but also Midwest versus East Coast versus South versus West Coast. You know, if we're thinking like we talked about earlier, you know, the significance of reaching the community where you are, you know, especially in a big city, your community is different than the one 20 minutes away. And it does, you know, the gospel never changes and all that. But what people are thinking about, what they have time to think about, the pressures that they're facing are unique. And I think, you know, that that's part of that that's part of applying what we know to be true about the doctrine of man. We're all made in the image of God, but we're all made uniquely in the image of God. And so I think that I'm I'm better equipped to think through that because I've been exposed to lots of different people in lots of different places. And I've just thought about it a lot as I think about church planning. What does it mean to plant a church in Scottsdale as opposed to a church in New Braunfels, Texas? It's a lot different. But I also think about it in this way. I don't think, so I don't think we're called to preach politics or culture from the pulpits. We're called to preach the gospel. But I also think it's it would be pretty naive to think that what's happening in the culture around us isn't doesn't affect how people hear what we're saying. So I've here here's one example I've thought about a lot. The church where I was a pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota, is three miles from where Philando Castile, I think I'm getting the name right, uh, was shot and killed. Uh, and I providentially, we were on vacation in the Twin Cities at a friend's house a few miles from there when it happened. I'm not sure early on in ministry, I would have showed up that Sunday prepared to to consider how that context affects how we enter into worship this Lord's Day. And, And I think I'm more attuned to that now. And it doesn't mean I have much to say about it, but it does mean this has been re- a really horrible, disruptive event in the community where we live. And it it would be naive to think that there aren't people in this room who have been shaken by what just happened. How does that affect how we come into the presence of God? I just don't think I, I spent a lot of time wrestling through that, almost in my overreaction. Like we don't talk about politics, so I'm not going to talk about culture at all. Uh, instead of how how does that both either create barriers for people or open doors for people uh, to hear the gospel clearly? So that's good. So kind of in the whether it's a big thing or whether it's small thing, when you refer to place, you're talking about how place influences 
context, identity, what people are thinking about, the questions they ask, the types of illustrations that people are resonating with and what defines them, whether you're, you know, in the corn capital of America or whether you're where TV uh, shows are filmed. There's a whole dynamic there that's influencing who people yep. are. So place ex- extends beyond place is so important because place influences context, identity, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. That's, that's helpful. So we're talking about, uh, I, I sort of interrupted you there. We're talking about how 10 years as general secretary might make you a better pastor. And you mentioned preaching and then I took you offline with theology of place. Uh, any other thoughts about what you may take from this time that will make you a different pastor going forward than prior to being general secretary? Yeah. So I, I would say spending time with church planners who have different gifts than I have, have stretched me. So I've learned about uh, evangelism from people like Eric Hausler and Eric Watkins, who are like the quintessential, like far extreme end of extroversion. And I've learned evangelism from quiet guys like Nate Jeffries, who is regularly sharing the gospel with his neighbors who show up at Bible studies with him or show up at worship services where he's preaching. And so I've seen guys with various personality types effectively reach people with the gospel. I've observed guys who are really gifted in areas of discipleship where I need to grow. I've seen effective communication and, and a lot of thinking about how to get the right information to your congregation at the right time, uh, how to use, you know, weekly emails or social media blasts at different points to keep the congregation engaged in in the in the ministry in the local church. And so I feel like I've learned a lot from guys, some who who have overlapping gifts, where I can say, oh, I can totally see myself doing that. You just haven't thought about it that way before. To guys who are really different than me. I think, man, they have something to teach me. And so I feel like I've I've really been challenged in areas where I haven't been strong, but also encouraged to grow in areas where I have some competency already. So you're going to be heading out, Lord willing, to a particular church or church plant, and you're going to be thinking about how to implement outreach in a local church. Actually, you're, you've thought about it for 10 years. You're going to be doing it for the first time in 10 years. How has your view of outreach and how to do outreach maybe changed or been formed over these years as you think about being in a local church? What what, what might you be doing or, or thinking about that you weren't thinking about? And just like, what's it look like going forward compared to what it may have looked like in St. Paul and just what's shaped you? I, I think one thing that I'm going to do more of is both group and then more personalized individual training in how to do evangelism. Instead of just giving them tools, I mean, that we were doing that in St. Paul. We were giving them different tools and opportunities, but spending some time thinking through what, how do I respond when somebody says this? How do I open up a conversation when I find it kind of hard to move from just talking about casual everyday life to gospel conversations. So trying to think about how to teach that in both groups and individually, and then how to take people with me to do it, which I did almost none of in St. Paul. 
we found people who were good at it and we went out and did it. But I want to help people along who want to do it and and have a, a godly desire to do it, but just feel like they don't have any models. So I, I do want to think more about that. How do we equip people? So I know how to how to excite people and energize people and how to give them tools, but not how to I haven't thought or I haven't practiced as much the equipping of people who lack models. And then if you think about same thing, thinking about outreach, but now particular to the OPC, you know, I'm thinking here about what you've seen and learned about your perspective on how the OPC does evangelism and how effective it is. And I'm thinking here, particularly, you know, whether well-earned or not well-earned, kind of stereotypes of Reformed churches, stereotypes of the OPC, but you've had a bigger picture than any of us. You've shared some of the stories. I just wonder, you may not remember what you thought coming into being general secretary, but if you can remember any of that, or if you can think about how it's transitioned, how do you think about how the OPC does evangelism in terms of not its methods, but quote unquote, success or (laughs) effectiveness as you leave this big picture view of what's going on? I think sometimes we get confused and think that to become evangelistic, we'll have to change some of our fundamental commitments. And what's been helpful to me, I think it's guys like Brad Pepo who said these kinds of things to me, that one of the one of the ways that he thinks about it is how do we take the things we're already doing and not change them, but give them an outward face as well. So it's not that we're dumping, you know, getting rid of heavy reformed teaching, which we should be doing. We're discipling people and training people as they grow in knowledge and understanding. But how do we take the things we're already doing and give them an outward face as well. And I think one thing, it's not, it it does, it is more palatable to people. We're not giving up these things that we're committed to, but it's more than that. It's not just whether it's palatable, it's actually effective. So I hear guys like Brad Pepo say that, but I also hear John Leonard and Get Real talk about, what does he say, evangelize the believer and disciple the unbeliever. Like that's part of the principle he's trying to get at is how do we have an evangelistic face and an outward face to our discipleship? And how do we, in discipleship things with our with our folks, also make sure the gospel is clearly and simply presented um, so that unbelievers can come there as well? So we're not siphoning off and saying, this is a, this is a space for believers, this is a space for unbelievers, but there's always space for both. <laughs> and, and neither dominates... The, the conversation, if you will, but that we we create spaces even in those environments for unbelievers and for believers. And so, I, you know, I I think that's something that we can all learn. It's something I'm constantly wrestling with, like, how do we think about this? So you have a Bible study, like, um, you know, on a, on a book like Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's a heavy book. An unbeliever reading that book's going to have have difficulty. But is there a way for me to teach the class where people who haven't read the book get a beautiful gospel nugget that they probably wouldn't have pulled out if they're reading the chapter, but it's there. And now I can teach the class in a way that both the person who's been a believer for decades is growing and deepening in their faith, but they can also invite an unbelieving friend who gets something 
about the gospel that they did not understand and may never have heard before? How can we take our hospitality events and our fellowship events and make them a place that's good for deepening relationships among believers, but it's also the kind of place where an unbeliever feels very welcome and people are going to invest in them in loving ways. So I feel like that's something we should constantly be wrestling with. There doesn't have to be a dichotomy. Now, it's probably true if we do a, you know, if we do a Bible study on Calvin's Institutes, you know, a lot of times that's not going to be a place for unbelievers. There's some unbelievers who might be interested from a historical perspective. So there's some things that are pretty clearly not that. But I think most spaces are spaces where unbelievers should be welcomed and can benefit. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, but how do we make our worship service not less than what it's been, but accessible to those who don't know the language yet? Yeah, so th- those kinds of questions. Yeah. And so now as you leave and you think about the stories you gave us during this time and you think about the successes and the energy that you've seen, if somebody would walk up to you, maybe not know who you are, or maybe 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 actually know who you are, actually, as I think about it, and said, yeah, you know, I'm glad I'm not in one of those reformed churches. I used to be in the, you know, I used to be in a reformed church. They don't do evangelism. Would you have a different perspective on that stereotype now as you've spent this time with the bigger picture and kind of kind of seen this? Suppose it means what it depends on what you mean by different. I've never thought that reformed churches weren't doing evangelism. I thought we could get better at it and more intentional about it. I think we see that in our history even. The the OPC was founded because of missions and evangelism. It just was. There's no getting around that. Um, but but like every Christian church, we can get comfortable and lose sight of the significance of evangelism. And so I think we've been doing it, but I think we're getting better at it. And we're more, we're growing in our commitments to it. And the Lord's bringing us really gifted evangelists as he has throughout the history of the church. And so I I guess I would say, let me tell you some stories of Reformed churches that are very much Reformed and there's serious theological conversation happening there. But there's also the welcoming of unbelievers and the conversion of lost souls happening in the very heart of these churches. So if I could just real quick, the church that we go to here in Calvary, at Calvary in Glenside, PA, is a church that in the 10 years that we've been here has been praying about and, and really working intentionally at becoming more evangelistic. And actually, right as we started that conversation in some significant ways, and we're trying to think about tangible ways that we can involve ourselves in evangelism, the church grew really fast, not through conversions, but through local folks that found the church. So it wasn't just Reformed folks showing up. It was folks that just found a friendly, hospitable church. And it grew really fast to the point where it almost felt like, and you you know, you could even hear people say it, like, we need to do more evangelism. But there's so much to do right now that we kind of forgot those conversations that we had. But in the last 18 months, I think I'm right in saying this, we've seen eight conversions. Wow. Because people invited their friends to church. And we regularly have unbelievers in the room hearing really good, clear gospel sermons. And we're seeing fruit from it. And that's a church that a lot of people would look at and say, this is a pretty serious, like intellectual theologically heavy church uh, with a lot of people. I mean, it's got, I don't know, five or six seminary profs. It's got a good 10 pastors that go to the church. 
So it could be seen as like this theologically heavy church where it would be hard for unbelievers to come. But it's a church that loves people. The hospitality is beautiful. And the teaching and preaching is clear. And the Lord's saving sinners. That's what a Reformed church looks like at its best. And, and I think it's what we're praying for and hopefully striving toward. That's a helpful answer and picture. Thanks for sharing that. So last question for you, John. 30 years from now, Lord willing, you're still around. The grandkids, maybe the great grandkids are coming over. You, you're in your low 80s. You're retired. What are you going to tell the grandkids or great grandkids about what God did during this 10 years? And what story are you going to tell them? Hmm. Wow. Yeah. First of all, what the Lord did, uh, he changed me. I have, um, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me, a growing optimism of what the Lord's doing in his church. Uh, my vision of the harvest is much bigger than it was. And I've been really thankful that the Lord's given me the opportunity to serve and just watch. Uh, I hear Al, uh, who I work with a lot of times, say something like, you know, a new church plant that we didn't know about comes to us and says we'd, we'd like support. And he says something like, uh, we want a piece of that. Like, we want to be part of that. And by the grace of God, I've been able to be part of that. Not because I have, you know, extreme gifts or anything, but he's just put me there to watch it. And it's opened my eyes to what the Lord's doing. And man, I couldn't be more excited. I'm actually, part of my going back into local pastoral ministry is something like this. I said this recently at a evangelism conference that I spoke at, but the guy that spoke before me did this little talk on the harvest in Matthew 9. And I got up and I really meant this. I said, man, after that talk, all I can think is, coach, put me in the game. Like, I want to be part of this. And so I'm excited to be part of it in a different way again, back in local ministry. So I guess I would tell them how the Lord changed me. The stories I would tell are probably stories about walking a beach with Eric Hausler and stopping and talking to people about the gospel or walking in a grocery store with Eric Hausler and listening to him share the gospel in Creole. And though I can't understand anything they're saying, I know exactly what they're talking about. Or sitting in a restaurant with Eric Watkins, one of my good friends. And within 15 minutes, the waitress is waiting to take our order because she's talking to us about her life and we're talking to her about Jesus. Like those are the stories that I take with me. Just watching faithful servants who love Jesus so much and love their neighbor so well that food can wait because we want to talk to you about Jesus. So those are probably the stories. That's great. John, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate hearing these stories. I think people will really be blessed. Uh, just on behalf of, uh, you know, I've kind of watched you serve as general secretary and on behalf of people who, you know, are listening to this and have seen your ministry. We just thank you for giving your time and energy for the, the cost that your family felt with you traveling however many days a year to do this. And we just uh, hope the Lord blesses whatever the next chapter for you and Ann and the kids are. And uh, maybe we'll get to talk to you again soon in a couple of years as a local pastor or church planter and and see what stories you're telling. So thanks for your time and your uh, service over thanks, 10 Brad. years. 
I just want to say this. I want to thank you know folks that are listening who've prayed for the Ministry of Home Missions. Thanks so much for prayers and good wishes that I get from so many folks. And just encourage you in this way. Keep praying and keep telling people about Jesus. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.